You're listening to the Mobcast Network. And roll sound. Sound speeding. Marker. And action. Welcome to Between the Line, a filmmaking podcast that navigates the line between professional and fandom. Cinema and cinematic. Success and we're your hosts. I'm Drew Hall. And filling in for Horst Zerubin is Chris Lott. How you doing, Chris Lott? Uh, I feel kind of weird sitting over here. I'm so used to hearing Horst. It's kind of weird. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, Chris is uh, is filling in, as he mentioned, for Horst. From, um, Chris is from our Hold the Roll show. He's uh, the producer as well of, of the podcast. And uh, Horst is still uh, tied up and frozen with Elsa and Anna in <laughs> The Iceland, frozen land. In the frozen land, wherever that might be. So, yeah, uh, really cool show today. We have um, a cinematographer um, named Jamie Ehrman. I met Jamie on a film called Nigel and Oscar versus the Sasquatch, uh, which is a comedy we've done. A really funny film, a really cool cast. Uh, so we met on that picture and, and we, you know, we got to be very close, very good friends. It was a crazy sort of experience that you'll hear us kind of reference. We lived on top of a mountain. There was, it was a film crew yeah, this is already going in a yeah, weird direction. You have all the, all this eccentric nature of film crew living on top of a mountain, the egos involved. You eat together, you sleep together Wait, sometimes. What? Yeah. Sometimes Whoa. Uh, we're all like living in the same place. Right. <laughs> and we shot this film or, or a portion of this film on top of this, this mountain. And uh, so we, we just got to be very close, very good friends and, and kind of built this relationship. But what also is really neat about Jamie is he's just got this tremendously, honest, genuine heart. And the, the fun part uh, is kind of hearing him talk about where he came from and where he did. But before we get to the interview, we need to kind of go yeah, through our sponsors. Yeah, let's right? go through our sponsors. I mean, the first one we got to give off is the fantastic Slackjaw Punks. People. Absolutely. I mean, Bub Smith and the guys over there, you can check them out at slackjawpunks.com. Uh, they're, you know, of course, we're a part of the Slackjaw Punks family and they have other great shows like Obi-Wan Beard, uh, Y'alls and Yars. Um, comics are cool. Yeah, they got there's tons yeah, of the creaking tons, door. Yeah, yeah the, the creaking door, a paranormal show, which is fantastic. I mean, they got tons of great things. So just you know, visit them, check them out, um, say hello for us. You know, give them the whole rundown. Tell tell them that you love between the lines. Yeah, exactly. We have a, we have a, a small rivalry forming. Yeah, uh, it, 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 it's been fun. There, it's great to be on the on that network. I those guys have been nothing but oh, yeah. tremendously nice to us and truly appreciative. We also want to thank, um, or, or plug rather, uh, ScreenplayReaders.com, where you can get screenplay coverage for your script or a script that maybe you're interested in. And we actually have a uh, discount available, which uh, is when you go to the checkout, there's a little box for a coupon code. If you type in between the line, you actually will get 10% off your entire order, which is pretty good. That takes it down. It's about 10 bucks because um, coverage is right around $100 or so. And it's a great website, too, I mean, because there's a lot of screenwriters who, who just can't get somebody to read your script, get their info. You go there, you you know, you know, look at the stuff and everything, and it's great coverage. It no, it really is. It's, it's super good coverage. The thing is, you can have your mom, brother, sister, cousin read it, and you and they should, because they're going right. to give you some kind of notes. But the truth is, sometimes you really need just that completely subjective, n- no relationship to you whatsoever. No holds barred. Right. And, and the, the thing I really enjoy about their coverage is... Uh, it's been very honest in a way that's not bitter. And that's that's a trick for coverage sometimes. The other thing we want to, it sounds shameless to do, but they're cool enough to sponsor it. Uh, we want to plug uh, at Dark Sky Films. Uh, if you haven't seen any of their stuff, they have tons of movies coming out. Oh, tons of great movies. Great man. stuff. Incredible stuff. We Are Still Here is one of their films. Oh, yeah. um, anyway, 
they also happen to release Convergence, uh, right. obviously near and dear to my heart. But uh, if you if you have a chance, check out DarkSkyFilms.com. You can kind of see all the cool library of stuff, and they're all of their films are on like iTunes and Vudu. Oh yeah, uh, Vimeo even Netflix. Netflix, they're everywhere. They're getting a big, nice run. Let us pray. That's one of their other films. That's a crazy. Yeah, movie. that was an awesome movie. Anyway, if you have a chance, check them out. And so uh, the other thing is, if you want to send us any correspondence, feel free to reach out to us at BetweenTheLinePodcast at gmail.com or... You can check us on Facebook at BetweenTheLinePodcast or on Twitter at PodcastBTL. Cool. So with that said, we will jump into the interview with Jamie... Jammin? Jammin Jamie Ehrman. All right, so here we are. Jamie, welcome to the show, buddy. Thank you for having me. So... um. Obviously, you and I have a uh, a relationship. We're part of uh, several secret organizations uh, bent on world <laughs> domination, <laughs> and and used to be beer consumption. Um, but I just just so people know, uh, who are you, Jamie, and what do you do? I am Jamie Ehrman. I am a cinematographer. Um, in relation to you. I am someone who has worked with you professionally and, and um, consider you a good friend. Um, also someone who I like to drink and eat with. So there you go. Yeah, that's our secret club. We, we jokingly call it the LBC. Yeah. And we don't have to tell anyone what that means. That's just something for us, right? Yeah, it's guys who, you know, depending on the uh, clothing label, sometimes go XL, sometimes go double XL. That's all. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> It's totally true. It's absolutely yeah. true. So, uh, so let's let's kind of go back to your history a little bit because you know I I had the the fortune to work with you on on a, a film we have coming out one day in the, one day in ten years called Nigel and Oscar versus the Sasquatch, right? Yes. So I know a little bit of your history, and I got to, I mean, because we met on a cold call scenario i i basically saw your demo reel looking for dps i saw your demo reel we had a conversation we really hit it off is that is that kind of a normal thing how many times have you been hired based on an insane director in alabama finding your demo reel and then calling you um that would be the first and only time <laughs> right <laughs> but does your demo does your demo reel have you gotten work off your demo reel or do you it, has that day gone by and it's more word of mouth now? I mean, in, in all in all seriousness. Uh, no, more word of mouth, although the demo reel is still used um, after word of mouth. So, um, for example, next week I'm shooting something uh, it's on a soundstage, like with a white psych. And it was a word of mouth how I got the job. But after they got my name and were given a recommendation to use me to shoot their project, then they go back and they check your credits and your demo reel and stuff. So it, it still plays a role for sure. Um, just you had the order switched uh, in terms of the way you and I uh, met and worked together. I'm laughing because it, it you know, we're in uh, backwards Alabama and I went backwards. Yeah, I did the exact seriously. backwards thing. And um, I loved that though because, um, yeah, that, I mean, I, I was very happy with the way that worked out and I I was happy to hear you responded to the footage and then you just hope when you talk to the person that it's someone you're going to like and respect and want to collaborate with so I mean the order is less important than sort of like when you get there is it someone who you think you're going to work well with 
But that's kind of as a, and this is a, a question for, for a cinematographer. I mean, we, we had Alex Funky on the show who obviously has been in the business long enough and, and Alex is friends with everyone in some way, shape or form. You're, you're, you know, you're midway in, into career, we'll say as far as window of time, not to age you one way or the yep. other, but how important is that relationship um, for you as a DP? Cause in some circumstances not not on stuff i do because i i run around and act just as silly as a human being possibly can on set but in some circumstances how important is the relationship um you know you 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 bolster with that crew i mean that's huge well i mean listen you're when you're a dp you you kind of got to hit your wagon to a star like i i can't really create my work, my jobs, like, you know, I need, there needs to be a script, there needs to be a production company, there needs to be stuff in place, and then I get brought on. So the relationship with directors and producers is huge, uh, you know, at a core level, just to have projects to work on, and then to be able to actually work on good projects that, um, you know, will end up being seen by people and getting to show off my um, my skills and getting to make good projects. So yeah, I mean, finding these directors, finding uh, people that are creating ideas that I can come in and work with them to to bring to fruition. I mean, that's 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 the game for sure. Right. I just I always find it fascinating because it you know um, if an AD has control of the set, he's kind of the 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 mean boss manager in it. At least on the stuff I've experienced, it's you know the DP is the one that uh, the crew tends to, you know, they listen to the AD, but they also listen to the DP because uh, obviously, like you know, you have to know as much about what's going on on the show as anybody, any other department head, if not more, in some cases. Yeah, I mean, um, in the in the feature world, still, I feel. I mean, or just is, you know, it's really a director's medium. The director is frequently going to be involved in some way with the script, whether it's a final pass or, you know, uh, doing some sort of, you know, changes to the script. And then they're obviously going to be heavily involved with the casting. But, you know, the director is the only person that's going to really be there from beginning to end, you know, when it's in pre-production and the script's coming together and casting during the actual shoot and then during post. The director is the only one who's there the entire time. So my my fling, my affair with the director is during that production period where we prep like crazy and then we shoot together. And then when it's over, I sort of have to uh, just gently remind the director that he still loves me, that I still need to be kept in touch in the loop, and hopefully I'll be invited to do the color correction. But I, you know, I sort of come in and the, the train's already moving. And then I sort of just really collaborate with the director, try to get in his head, try to prep. I deal with all the gear stuff. You know, project manager sets budgets and I push back on them. And then I hire my gaffers and ACs. And then, um, yeah, kind of the director and I will kind of go and try to make a uh, you know, a movie together, which is a real intense and just awesome experience. I mean, it's the best. That's what I love. Well, it's it's funny. Uh, you you say I thought the the most genius rap gift I've ever been given I can attribute back to you because uh, you got smart and gave me like beer beer of the month club. Oh, that's so my classic for, move, my classic trick. 
it's brilliant. But so for like six months or a year or whatever it was, I every month I was reminded of of Jamie German, <laughs> world class DP. It's genius. <laughs> yeah, for sure. It's it's the perfect gift. One, it's alcohol. Everyone loves it. And two, just comes every month. Little gentle reminder. Hey, that, that's right. Jamie's such a good guy. It's just yeah, just perfect. The the only you know I just haven't had any more projects line up uh, where where I could pull you in you know it yeah, just hasn't well, been that you're world. obviously your monthly uh, your monthly deliveries have stopped so you need another project if you want more yeah that's exactly right I'm kind of hooked on that <laughs> so uh, let's go back a little bit because I teased on it and then didn't follow through which is normal on this show let's go back a little bit to your history because you kind of have a um, you kind of have a, a very expensive education. Expensive history uh, to get into the business. It, it, can I say that? Is that fair to say? Sure. You mean talking about going to AFI? Well, yeah. And and you had uh, you had undergrad where at Michigan? Yeah, right? went to Michigan. From I grew up in uh, Northern California. Went to Michigan um, for undergrad, um, and then um, I was living back in the Bay Area in San Francisco, working in. Um, this was like during one of the first dot com booms, like in the late 90s, early aughts, and um, I was working at tech company, um, wasn't really fulfilled, like, just creatively or in any way, um, so I was doing a ton of photography at the time, and my friend's like, you should, you know, take a class or something at a community college in, like, cinematography, I think you'd like that, so I took a class at San Francisco City College and really got into cinematography. Photography was a little lonely for me. Um, and I just got into the whole idea of working on these things. And I moved to New York soon after and just started paying my dues as a like second AC, PA, camera PA, just working on any project I could get my hands on. And, you know, started meeting people and working my way up and started shooting some stuff. But I sort of felt like there was a glass, glass ceiling for me in terms of my skill set. And I wanted to, um, yeah, just sort of learn more, more of the... Um, specifics, the techniques of cinematography. So I applied and got into um, AFI, the American Film Institute, which is a like a master's program. And they sort of break it into different disciples. They have like a producing, directing, editing, production design, writing, cinematography program. And I did the cinematography program because I, if I was going to do film school, which is sort of silly and expensive and a little... I don't know, potentially just excessive. I wanted to really just focus on cinematography. I didn't want to do film theory and tons of screenwriting. I really just wanted to focus on that. So it was the only school that had that. So it was sort of the only school I applied to. And then um, went to AFI. Uh, it's like a two-year program. And then sort of been in L.A. since working um, as a cinematographer in L.A. since AFI. So let, let's let's track back. So your undergrad was in what, photography? No, my undergrad was in uh, biology and anthropology. Totally unrelated. Seriously, I did. I, now that part I didn't know about you. So what, what was your initial plan? What was your I goal with was, that degree? Um, I was going to go to med school. My dad's a doctor. I used to dress up as a doctor uh, for Halloween. Like this was what, what I was going to do. I took all the science classes, years of chemistry, physics, biology, um, and then towards the end of college, I was like, I just don't want to do this. I just can't do this. So, um, um, moved to Spain for a year and, um, with two friends and 
took a Spanish class and kind of partied and around and sorry uh, for swearing and messed around and had fun out there. And then I got home and I was like, what am I going to do? And at that point in the Bay area, they were just giving jobs away to kids because uh, they were hiring so many people during this like Silicon Valley um, just bubble there. Like my job interview there this is sort of funny. It was like they presented me with like a logic problem this is like an interview to work at like a startup and it was like a logic problem this woman asked me there's like four different hotel rooms and there's four different people that need to stay in the hotel rooms uh mrs white cannot be in a room next to mr black and mr black cannot be in a room next to mrs blue just like kind of like one of those like law school like logic problems so i started working through okay so you need to draw this out and then you got to make you know put down all the different possibilities and they're like oh okay cool you got it you figured it out okay when can you start and it was like oh cool i guess now i'm gonna work in the <laughs> i'm gonna be working in tech great and you know um um did that for a bit but i will say just getting back to your question about what i was studying in college um I did always like being grounded. I always was attracted to science. I did always really enjoy um, just science in general, sort of the search for truth through science. So one of the reasons I did like cinematography is it does have a balance in both sort of the technical side and creative. I don't have enough faith in my creativity to be just a painter or writer, just like an artist who only sort of creates. I, I like having some of it anchored in uh, technique and gear and science and, you know, with cinematography you're talking about, whether it's uh, electronics with cameras or lighting, I, I like having that balance between um, the technical side as well as the creative. So it was sort of a good, a good combo for me to have that. So, so in, in with, Jumping into that, I mean, that science element, I mean, do you still apply that aside from like, all right, we get the idea of, of, you know, how things work. We don't necessarily discuss, at least in the circles I've run in, we don't, we don't have a lot of discussion about, we talk about, um, codex, we talk about compression rate, but yeah. we use those as terms. I don't know if anyone's actually studied the science, you know, very few guys I know actually know the science. I mean, have you ever, in, in talking with film, film though, forced a little bit of a, you had to a, at least understand the chemistry behind film, um, right as a dp or a cinematographer you had to understand what is the chemistry behind you know uh, th this emulsion process right yeah that was yeah i mean exactly what you just said uh understanding that you know not getting into the insane specifics but just understanding the process and understanding the variables that went into that and understanding how you can use those variables to affect the look um of the project you're working on um and then, you know, with cameras, you know, understanding as, as we moved away from film to digital, just, you know, understanding the idea of what an electronic camera is doing in terms of, you know, capturing light and converting it from analog to digital and going through and compressing it, recording it to media, you know, understanding that process again. Um, and then another big one is just in terms of lighting, you know, optics. Uh, with lenses and with lighting, just the physics of light, uh, what different qualities of light do and how light interacts with different environments was is, is something that, you know, I, I do find interesting. And, you know, sometimes there's opportunities to use the the science and sort of help you understand. And, and other times you got to just put that away and you got to go with your gut and you got to think about what looks good and you got to you know, let the creative side come out and let experience come out. But um, it, it's just something I, 
I like having that sort of as a crutch to fall back on sometimes. No, it's smart. Uh, I, I do have a question because I hear this term brought up. Um, I kind of understand what it means. Um, but, you know, for listeners, DPs and, and, and cinematographers use the, the term quality of light. Can you kind of define what the hell that actually means? Yeah. Best you can. Uh, I just like to hold my hand up in front of the light and spin it around so people on set think I know what I'm I'm doing. No, the... Um... <laughs> <laughs> it's great uh or yeah my, i have a friend we always make a joke you walk on a set and you look you look around and you go nice nice quality of light here looks good huh and we sort of nod and, and walk off as if we what we said actually meant anything but um right uh when i think of quality of light you know there's just a couple variables i think of you know the first one is the first the big two are um the color temperature of the light in terms of is it you know daylight or tungsten or somewhere in between or is it a mix of the two and then the big one when you think of quality of light is is it hard or is it soft so you know um, hard light and soft light just have a big effect on how people perceive um, imagery and you know it's tricky because you know let's think of a soft light something with a lot of diffusion that's very close to the actors the light is going to be softer it's going to wrap around the shadows are not going to be hard and 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 it has a very nice effect and but you know soft light if it's far away from the actors the size of the source appears smaller then it can actually have the effect of being a hard light but uh, regardless of how you get there the harder the soft light is you know, a big determinative when people are talking about what is the, the quality of the light. Right. And, no, and you good. know, I, it's, it's funny. I'm sorry to interrupt you there. Like I've gone no, no, back and forth. Like it's not like quality where there's like a good or a bad because throughout my life, you know, I went through a big phase where I was only doing soft light. I was just a soft light bitch. I, all I wanted to do was just have directional soft light, get up a big source, knock it down with a bunch of diffusion, Make sure you flag it off and let the soft light go. But I've sort of learned over time, you know, you need hard light. Hard light creates such dynamic frames. There's just something about hard light where the frame just pops. And now I'm going through a phase where I'm like using hard light a lot more than I am soft light. You sort of go back and forth. Obviously, it's a combo of the two. You can't just, you know, choose one or the other. But, um, you know, that's that's something about it, the quality of the light. And, and you know, I also prefer tungsten lights. They're just... Um, I, I tend to find them a little more pretty, but quality again, it's not like an objective quality. No, it's funny because you know the the it, it, it's still popular. I'm assuming it's been a while since I've I've been on a, somebody else's set, but you know our our you know Kino's got really big for a while because you have this just really easy way of, of putting up a beautiful soft bank of light, right? For sure. And I always grew up um, poor, so. Uh, on the on the cinema side so we would scrap together these old uh lowell light kits were just just the oh, beasts. Yeah. yeah and then they would burn all of your gels like yep. you know you yeah they <laughs> yep. were just so hot they got so yeah. hot so dangerous and that's <laughs> so i learned i learned nothing but you know th these these tungsten lamps these fresnels and, and all that like so i got really used to just using that stuff and then all of a sudden kinos got more popular and people started using um you know, I started seeing a lot more HMIs. You know, we were yeah. we were using a 2K with full CT uh, CTB and, and trying to simulate sunlight through a window in the poorest yeah. way we could. Yeah, um, that's funny. Now everybody flies sun guns. Yeah, yeah, I know the. Um... I know those low lights well. There's actually a a, a low light called the Rifa light, which um it's got a built-in chimera to it. 
And yep. one of my favorite DPs, um, Robert Ellswit, big, big, heavy, heavy hitter DP, shot tons of incredible stuff. He loves the Lowell Reefa light. You know, this is just a light you get for a couple hundred bucks. It's a quick, immediate soft light. You can put a dimmer on it. You can hide it in places. Um, but the other low lights, the ones you were talking about, like those open face ones, I've used those also and burnt my hands in gels and the, the cables have, have melted on them. Those things are terrible. That's so funny. I'm just having such flashbacks right now to using those things. Uh, there's kind of a weird, um, I think at the time it was, it, it, they're not as prominent now because, you know, now we have LED panels, which, yep. you know, you get into, and, and some of them come really cheap from China. I don't know about the, I can't speak to the quality. I've never used them, but you know, I've used light panels a good bit. I use the, we call them grenades, the little, um, the little small, I guess they're <laughs> one by half. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, yeah. Cause we'll just set them wherever we want to do highlights. And, and you know, it's just so quick how fast like technology has pushed it, which kind of goes back to, did you, where I was leading into it, uh, here's a part in the segue, but you know, it, it's a lot different now. Like we can look on an active monitor, physically see what we're getting. And for the most part, um, I haven't shot a lot of Alexa, but at least with red, you know, you can WYSIWYG it. Film was never that way. I mean, we would look through if you were lucky and because I shot it, most of our stuff was on Bolex H16 Rexes where you're just lucky that it was a Rex and yeah. reflexive. Did you ever shoot film? Did you, did you go through a film process at all? Yeah, I did. Um, well, there's a lot of things you just brought up there. I, w- I want to talk about a bunch of different them. So I'm glad you did. The, um, the first thing that came into my head while you were talking there was like, you know, I consider the two biggest changes in the conversion from film to digital. The first was um, the increased sensitivity of the digital cameras shooting at, you know, ISO 800 or um, now with some of these new Sonys and the Red and the Dragon, their base ISOs are at 2000. So the, the sensitivity with the digital cameras, especially in the shadows, is incredible. And the second thing um, is the monitor. I mean, when you were shooting on film, you would have a little video tap, a standard definition video tap. And, you know, it was just kind of there for the director to see framing. You couldn't judge exposure on that at all. Uh, Now, with these digital cameras, the monitor is actually showing you what you are recording. I mean, it is literally the image. So, like you said, you know, you can kind of tweak it i mean yeah you definitely can i mean it's literally the image you're getting and um especially when you're working with a dit and stuff and they're on set and they're making some color timing changes to it or they have one of their really nice color monitor uh color calibrated monitors like you guys have a flanders i know i mean like you're looking at the image as good as it's ever going to look so um that's a good thing and it's a bad thing it's a good thing because you know what your image is going to look like it's a bad thing because it can make you a little bit lazy. Instead of you know thinking about how am I going to light this scene, you might just throw up a light, frame up the camera, take a look, and then start making tweaks to things. Instead of having kind of like a vision and idea about how you want the scene to actually look, how you want the light to come in, how you want it to interact with interact with the set and the actors. You know, my my friends and I joke about like our light meters, you know, growing dusty in our kits because, you know, (laughs) you you could take out the light meter, but it's like um, you don't really need it. And you sort of like um, the last project I shot, I I used my light meter, you know, I wanted to 
I'm going to use my light meter. I'm not going to be addicted to the monitor. I'm going to measure levels, okay? So I'm going to have my key two stops more than my fill, and I'm going to be using my light meter, and that's how I'm going to make sure everything works. It's going to force me to be like, you know, a more like thoughtful DP. Literally by the post-lunch of the first day, light meter was gone. I was back looking at the monitor. <laughs> <laughs> it's just you can't resist uh, the image. I mean, you're just looking at the image. It's right there. And it's a good thing, too. Um, as long as, you know, Video Village doesn't become like a carnival with like 20 people watching. But, um, yeah, that, that that's the first thing um, of film. And, you know, um, I actually just shot a project on film about two and a half uh, years ago. And um, I actually was a little frustrated by the process because the um, colorist was giving us dailies and he was making them purposely flat because he wanted to leave us room in uh, when we did our color correction to have more latitude because we were shooting on film, we were getting HD dailies and those HD dailies were kind of becoming our new master. We weren't going to go back and rescan the film. And he was giving us these HD wow. dailies and he was making them sort of flat so we would then... When we do it, when we when we would time it, we would have more room. But I was sending him stills. I would take a picture of the scene. I would match the exposure of the camera, and then I would go in Adobe Lightroom and I would kind of do a rough color correction. And I would send them to him as references, like time this as, you know, look at my reference stills, time it so it looks like this. And he wouldn't do it because his job it was not to do that. And I actually felt like I had a lack of control because I wasn't getting the dailies the way I wanted to. Whereas if I'm shooting digital, I feel like I do have a better chance to potentially actually get dailies, whether it's through onset color timing or with a LUT or just baking in and not shooting things log or raw. I actually have a better opportunity to control the pipeline and get the dailies the way I want. So that was actually a frustration of shooting. Um, film, but you know the process was cool. Going to the lab, looking at daily, all that stuff was was fun. I, you know, I I shot um, my first bunch of stuff when I was a when I was a kid was was film, and I go back to it now and I think about the process of how we had to work. Which, you know, you would we would get it transferred to beta uh, beta SP, uh -huh. and, then, and and we would load it into the Avid, you know, with the tape deck. So that means you had to analog and, and you know, manually capture all this stuff. Batch capture, yes. it was called. Batch capture. Oh, yes. Remember that? And so you do your batch capture and then you'd cut your picture and then you'd have to make an EDL and conform by hand back to your, your reels. And I mean, like, I, I don't miss that. I really don't. I don't miss no. that whatsoever. No um, way. This is before DIs. Like, we didn't have you know, no, no one scanned, <laughs> you know, you, the guys that were scanning were, were at the time it was new. So it wasn't yep. even something. See, I don't, I don't miss that. And, and at the same time, I learned more about editing as a, as a, as a young director editor at the time, I learned more about editing because I had to be very conscious of the cut, which I also think is important going into the film side, what you're just discussing. So we're talking about shooting film you have to be conscious again using that meter so you had an experience moment that you know i don't think is happening uh quite maybe is not happening quite as often yeah. because of, of the democracy of cinema uh, you know of, of being a filmmaker is, is is more open which is good in a lot of ways great new artists come yeah. through that but do you have a kind of a take i mean do you feel like there's there's because we have so much more access to technology do you feel like maybe we're limiting um limiting the 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 sort of craft in a way because now we can cheat as much as we do? Yeah, that's an interesting question. Yeah, I mean, maybe. 
I I would say more. I think it more comes from in terms of that difference. You know, less maybe the craft and more just like now you might overcover and overshoot scenes when you're using digital instead of film, just because you know. Um, you know, the media is relatively cheap, assuming you're not shooting some crazy, you know, 4K, 6K, 8K raw thing. But normally speaking, the media and the data is cheap. So you can sort of find yourself over covering stuff and let's just shoot the rehearsal. Who cares? Or, you know, that kind of stuff sometimes can have a, a bad effect. You can sort of turn uh, instead of being very deliberate and treating, you know, sort of the takes as special. You can sort of kind of over cover stuff. So I have seen that for sure. Right. Um, but um, yeah, no, it's interesting. Uh, I haven't thought about film in a while. So it, it's interesting for me, just the, uh, the process. There's been a couple, I mean, this is an interesting year. Uh, sorry to get, to go, to go sidetracked here, but there's, uh, no, no, it's good. There's, you know, this has been an interesting year because there's been all these films that were, uh, all these movies that were shot on film this year, there was, you know, Hateful Eight was, was shot on, what, you know, 65 and projected in 70. And then, you know, you had these other movies shot on film. Carol was shot on um, 16. And then um, Star Wars was shot on uh, 35 and some IMAX. And uh, Deakins, uh, Roger Deakins, uh, you know, great, great, legendary cinematographer. Yeah, my all-time favorite. Yeah, I mean, just so good. He shot for the last Coen Brothers movie, Hail Caesar, which I think comes out this week or last week, whatever. And he had an interview where he said, basically, like, he doesn't really want to shoot film anymore because the infrastructure is no longer there, because film's become a niche product. There's no longer all these labs. There's only one lab, and and there's no longer, you, you know, he doesn't feel like you can guarantee the quality anymore because there's not as much of a film infrastructure in L.A. anymore. Which is interesting. Um, but what I found even more interesting was um, that movie The Revenant, shot by Emmanuel Lebesky, another just insanely badass DP. He shot that on digital with a big, uh, with the Alexa 65, so with a giant sensor the size of 65 millimeter film. At the same time, uh, Robert Richardson, another heavyweight DP, shot Tarantino's movie on 65 millimeter film. And. Right. You know, Robert Richardson's talking about film this, film that. It's incredible. It's per, you know, it's the greatest format. That's how you should shoot everything. And Lubeski said, in an interview I read, he actually much preferred shooting digital than film. He thinks the artifacts and sort of the grain and those the 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 the, the stuff that kind of appears in film. He said for him that was actually distracting, and he's creating images now digitally with this Alexa 65 that he's always wanted to. Now, what's interesting to me about that is these are two all-time DPs, and they have totally different opinions, conflicting opinions about shooting film or digital. One is swearing by film, and the other swearing by digital. They're obviously both big fans of the large sensor size, the large film plane, the 65 mil size, but one preferred film and one preferred digital, and both movies obviously look amazing, but it's just interesting to me that they really have different you know, perspectives on that. No, it's, it's fascinating because... Um, I- to me, it's it's really interesting from a from a directing side. Um, if the DP, if I do a Q and A and the DP is not there, I in, in the states especially, uh, it's not so much. At least my experience overseas wasn't this way, but in the states, I always get asked, "What did I shoot on?" Always, always, huh. always, always. People want to know, and um, 
it seems to be it's a very, it's a topic that is important to American cinema of of you know what did the DP do how did you shoot it how did you put that piece together and so I always find that kind of an interesting thing I mean do, do you on your own do you have a bias towards towards a camera even you know do you like red or Alexa or uh, you know, would you shoot film if I if if I called you and said, Jamie, I got the budget. We're shooting everything. You know, we got a ten to one. It's not huge, but we got a ten to one uh, shooting ratio. Do you want to shoot film? Um, I mean, what what would you? What would I you would say my first choice would be to shoot on the Alexa, um, right. just because the it's so steady, so rock solid. There's never there's no issues with it. And it's got the simplicity uh, and design of sort of the old school film cameras. There's not crazy menu systems. There's not a million buttons. It's just very basic, straightforward. Uh, the image quality is beautiful. It renders skin tone so well. It's not too noisy. It's not too sharp. It's sort of my favorite camera um, right now. If I just had to choose one camera, you know, separate from the project, that would be my favorite uh, Right yeah. now, but but I want to I want to follow up on something. Is it was it different the questions you were getting when you would do international Q and A's and stuff like that? Yeah, I've um, actually at international Q and A's. I n- was never asked one time what I shot it on. Huh. Um, uh, I think I think a couple of people in a conversation they didn't ask, but they said, uh, you know, the film, the film grain or whatever. Your you know they would compliment how something looked. Um, in the quality of the image, but they would never directly, they, they would never ask. Whereas, I mean, literally here in the States, it's always a question that, that comes up to what'd you guys shoot on? Um, with Nigel and Oscar, this is a testament to you. I don't know if I've told you this and here you go. Um, so we were, you know, you, you start showing it to different distributors and and conversations and sales agents and all this stuff. and, And you're having these conversations and not one of them. They actually ask me, almost all of them ask me if we shot on film because of the way that the color transfer and the timing looked. Um, they could not believe how good and balanced everything looked. And, you know, I think there's just a little bit of grain that maybe Jeff introduced, uh, the colorist. Um, but that they were they were constantly assuming we shot film. Uh-huh. I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah, well, that's great to hear. I love hearing that. But, um, yeah, that's, that's wow. That's, you. Well, I appreciate that. It's very nice of you. It's all because of you, man. No, because well, look, let's, let's not get into the the bro the bromance moment. Let <laughs> let me roll into some let me roll into some personal stuff. Let, let's dive into something. So, what kind of things do you do to to grow to benefit yourself? Um, obviously, one of the things that's come up repeatedly throughout most of our interviews has been you know uh, reading or or studying. Uh, uh, Mark Terry, uh, the production designer for Nigel and Oscar, he just got back from London where he he took a class on um, on draftsman, being a draftsman. Do you do any kind of extracurricular bits, or, or or do you find it on outside? It doesn't have to be directly film related, but do you do stuff to kind of enhance your the quality of your life as a as a uh, filmmaker? I do some. I, I wish I did more. Um, I blame my selfish children for preventing me from doing, (laughs) (laughs) but, um, you know, being in LA is, um, is great because there's a ton of resources here. So there are constantly, um, just like seminars and lectures offered in LA all the time. Like all the big rental houses here are always, um, just putting things together. Like I, I literally, right before we started talking, I was just RSVPing for, 
um, Able Cine, which is like a big camera rental house, sales house. They're having like a red camera lineup day uh, next week. So red's coming. They're bringing all their cameras and they're going to talk about the differences, let you play with them and touch them and stuff. Just little things like that. I really try to um, go to as many as I can. Um, you know, they have Cine gear here where all the vendors come and you get to look at the gear and talk to the people who create the gear and design the gear. And, you know, you get to play with anamorphic lenses and get, you know, jealous of the people who get to shoot with them, all that, all that kind of fun stuff. Um, and then uh, non-tech wise, yeah, I do, I do try to go to um, see as many movies as I can. Again, kids get in the way there. Um, but right. Um, you know, killer, just right away, no movies. That's something I always tell my friends about to have kids. Just go to the theater, take a trip, travel. Uh, That's what enjoy we did. the world, we- breathe in deep. <laughs> <laughs> it's every moment. We, we we still I mean, like we remember because you know we're we're uh, uh, we we got blessed. I air quoted with uh, a surprise kid, and so our second, and so uh, we we still remember the last movie we saw um, for almost nine months in the theaters was Fast and Furious Seven, Amazing. because that that was. That was the only thing that was out that we wanted to partially see. Yeah, you know, it's yeah, like, oh my god, yeah, we're about yeah. to, we're about to, you know. Yeah, that's hilarious. But I do try to. Um, I, mean, I mean, obviously, the internet's amazing because there's just so much info; it's out of control. I do try to, you know, uh, go to photography exhibits, museums, art museums every once in a while just to get like, you know, inspired. Um, because like what I'll do sometimes, which is dangerous is I'll get all into just like the gear tech nerd stuff. Like, Oh, this new camera is coming out. And like, I can just like waste away reading those like silly rumor websites about what the new camera is going to have. Oh, it's doing six K or, Oh wow. It's got this new codec and this one can shoot at ISO 3200, you know, all that kind of stuff, which is, it's fun. That's more like following sports. It's not real. It's like, that's not, you know, the cameras nowadays are all great. Like that's more just like out of a hobby. Um, it's, it, that's not really inspiring. That's just more, you know, keeping up to date on gear stuff. Yeah. But it becomes important because sometimes you'll need that tool. You yeah. Know. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it's important up to a point. I just use it as like, you know, I love reading about new gear. I just can't, it's like, I'm a junkie. I love it. Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. So you mentioned, you mentioned kids. So are you, are you married? Married, uh, two kids, four-year-old and a six-year-old. So I'm in it. You're committed. Do you have a, uh, do you drive a minivan? Uh, I drive an SUV. Minivan are for people that have three kids or people that don't have any self-respect. <laughs> I love, that's one of my favorite quotes <laughs> from you. I love the fact that you and I joke about that and you teased me about it. And now I'm actually considering a minivan just because of all the crap I have to carry around with me. Yeah, um, well, you can so, blame it on the crap, but it's it's just you not loving yourself <laughs> through. Okay, I got it, got it. So tell me about. I mean, so what is it? Your wife works in the industry, is that correct? You don't have to go into details. No, to no, my yourself, um, my wife is a uh, writer producer uh, in in TV. She's currently the showrunner on um, Jane the Virgin, which is a TV show on the CW, and um, she's very successful. And she works. An enormous amount, a shit ton. She is literally working almost every single waking hour. So um, it's intense, especially when you have kids. And I would also say just, you know, the film working on set world, like, you know, what a DP does or any crew does, is very difficult 
once you have kids because you know the childcare industry is kind of based on nine to five type hours where you drop your kid off in the morning at preschool or day care or kindergarten and then you work and then you kind of pick up your kid when the day is done but we work 12 hour days or even longer so it's very hard um, sometimes to make schedules work when you have kids and that's why um, you know you need help from family or nanny or etc it can be uh, you know challenging because um, this is not this is a career that doesn't meld perfectly with with children yeah, because I imagine on in her world, she's probably, you know, if she's running a show, that's that consumes her time. Then what happens if, I mean, if you get an offer to go away, do you guys kind of have a deal that you maybe don't step away during during TV time or, or yeah, I guess or is it yeah, no, I mean, it depends on. Uh, it's a little bit of like a triage thing. It sort of depends on on the job and the opportunity. So if it's a feature. Or a good project, a good show, a really good job. We, you know, we make it work, um, and um, you know, we just the the hardest part is just if I have a good job and it's 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 a month out, it's a couple weeks out. We can plan and make it work. The, the biggest problem is, you know, I, I I get calls all the time. Hey, Jamie, can you replace me tomorrow and operate B camera on some shoot? Those are the hard ones because I got to tell the person, hey, you got to wait a second. I got to call a babysitter and call our nanny, see if they can come in early, see, you know, the, the, the stuff where we don't have time to plan is where it can get a little stressful and hairy. Um, but you know, um, just, you know, try to be supportive and, and flexible is kind of the, the key to keeping things going. But you're also, you're also doing something very, uh, I think important and, and difficult, which, you know, um, I mean, you, you are doing what you want to do for a living. She is doing what she wants to do for a living and you guys have a family and, you know, you're able to spend time together. I mean, I, you know, that's kudos, man. Cause I, I, it's, you know, right now, because I'm in the middle of a release, I, I'm at the office, you know, 10, 12 hours a day yeah. just doing that. And, you know, I go home and see my kid, I kiss her good night and then I come back to work or I, or I go in my office at home. So, I mean, good job on at least finding the balance. I know I'm sure yeah. it's not always easy. No, it's not. It's not easy. Um, I appreciate. I appreciate what you're saying, and I, I would say sometimes it works well, and sometimes it doesn't. Um, just um, it's just hard. Um, young kids they need a lot of attention and a lot of love, and you want to give it to them because they're young kids and they're your kids and they're and they're awesome. But you know, they're a lot of work. It's um, it's um, it's uh, yeah, it's difficult at times, and. Um, our nanny's been very, very helpful, integral. You know, when we've had these different uh, jobs, where we're both sort of working. Like when I was shooting uh, our feature together in Alabama, at that same time, my wife had to go to New York for the upfronts, which is like you know when the CW was like announcing her show was going on air and all this stuff. So like. She traveled to New York with our two kids, dropped the kids off at her mom's house in, in Westchester. Then she would go to like events, um, you know, press screenings and events in New York and then go back and see the kids. Meanwhile, I was up at like a state park in, you know, north eastern Alabama, just, you know, trying to get cell phone reception. I mean, that was definitely like peak crazy time for us. Yeah, I, I, uh, I'm sure. And, you know, and meanwhile, I drug my family with me and, and, you know, we got spider bites and lived in a chalet that was, uh, 
It sounds fancy, but I assure you it was not fancy. Yeah, well, just so everyone knows, Drew stayed in a chalet, okay? I stayed in a hotel room, and they couldn't get the door locked to work. So I would come home, and all you want to do is just get in, take off your gross set clothes, maybe get a shower, maybe have a beer, get ready for the big you know, dinner at film camp. And I couldn't even get in my door. And I would do a split screen to you in your chalet and just curse you, okay? So that's what I wanted no, you to know. But- Meanwhile, meanwhile, that's the appearance, and I'm walking in the door, and there are literally hundreds of animals, of of in, of, of, of not animals, but insects in in our in our place, and and it was just the weirdest. And, and look, it was a great time. It was a weird, yeah. We all remember Chiha. I, I gotta give process. you, I gotta give you props because um, having the family around can be so stressful and you yeah you were a champ man like you deserve mad props for just like working all day uh wife and kid right there there's always some sort of drama with a little tiny toddler or something you know there's a, a diaper rash or oh, who knows what and you were handling that like a like that was impressive man yeah well you know that's you have to do it because if your wife works with you you know i, yeah. I can't i'd get i'd get i'd get skinned alive yeah do you um do you follow any sort of routines like on set? Do you have a routine pre-show, during a show? Oh, actually, before I ask that question, I got to interrupt and say it's the 41-minute mark, which we have a tradition of asking a question about a movie, and you just have to go with the first thing that comes to your mind. Are you ready? Please. All right. So uh, all-time favorite movie for cinematography only. You're thinking I'm gonna say- too much. I'm going to I'm going to say children of men. Oh, nice. Interesting. Good one. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a Raiders guy. I think it's because we just lost. Uh, yeah, Douglas, uh, Slocum. Slocum. You're right. But the dude lived 103 years. I like, know, right? He couldn't have. Perfect life. Perfect. Uh, insane. His credits. It's like, And those guys were so gnarly because like they're shooting film. It wasn't like ISO 500. You know what I mean? Like they, he was shooting yeah. film back in the days when it was like, you would have to make things look so bright in front of the camera. And then when you got back the negative or sorry, when you got back the dailies, it would look all dark and moody. Like those guys were so skilled. Like I'm, yeah, I'm a joker compared to that guy. Well, they, they have that. There's that great story I, I was reading about where supposedly he shot Raiders without ever using his meter because he was just walking in. The, now we talked about that earlier, but he's doing it on film, never using a meter, just kind of eyeballing the entire lighting setups for Raiders of the Lost Ark. Are you kidding me? <laughs> oh man, I hadn't heard that. That's insane. Isn't that nuts? Yeah. Um, all right. So going yeah, to where I was going. Are, do you do any kind of routines? Do you have a pre-show routine, or do you have any kind of routine that you like, like- to follow? You mean like a feature with prep or are you talking like just like a like day like uh, what's like the time frame you're referring to? Well, let's do this. Let's do, you know, routine as a as a as a DP cinematographer. I mean, do you have a routine for for a feature or television that you like to follow? Yeah. Um, for sure. Uh, I definitely like making like a lookbook which could be stills from a movie. I have a bunch of photo photography books that um, I like to look at and put little like bookmarks on, kind of come up with some ideas, just some visual references for, um, for the project. 
I mean, they could be anything. It could be like a black and white photo or it could be a still from a... We could be shooting drama and it could be some moments of a movie that were a comedy. Just like something to get started and talk about the visual language. Um, that's important to me, just so we sort of know what we're talking about. Is that and also kind of... Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry, sorry go ahead. No, no, you go. No, I was... Does that does that help you kind of set up a line of communication with a director or exactly. the producers or whoever? Exactly. Exactly. Just gets me going. Like I gotta get in I gotta get in Drew's head. I gotta know what he responds to, what he's thinking for this. Because like the real key is like the projects that are gonna work well, it's they have a director who knows what he or she wants, has an opinion. And then is going to be flexible. Like, that's the recipe. Because then the directors, you know, I like this, this, and this. And that's where you have your collaboration. You push back and say, oh, that's cool. What about this? And then, like, you're going to basically end up with an idea that's better than what each of you had individually. And that's when you know you're collaborating, when it's like, ah, oh, I hadn't thought about that. What if we try this? And then you end up somewhere uh, farther along than you would have if it was just you guys um, doing it on your own. So getting that process, that relationship started, that's really uh, the key for me. And um, that's sort of on like the higher creative level. The more specific level then is like, you know, shot listing. Like, for example, you... Uh, you're very visual. You like coming up with the first pass of all the shots. Then we talk about it and make tweaks to it. But you like coming up with it. I've been on projects where they're like, the director's kind of just like, can you do the first pass? And then I'll give you my notes. That doesn't work as well for me. I like it when the director drives it. But you work together and you come up with your ideas. And it's important to get a pass of the shot list done together because... I feel like sometimes you almost have to get out, like, you got to get out those bad ideas and bad shots and sort of, like, you got to push through them because some of them are going to be good, but some of them are going to be bad, and you want to get those bad ones out of the way, you know? And um, you're going to end up making changes on set, too, but it's good to have, like, something there. Um, And then the other routine is just trying to hang out with my gaffer as much as possible. I want the gaffer to really understand what I'm trying to go for lighting-wise. Um, yeah, the first AC also, I, you know, I, things I want to have a good relationship with them, but it's more important that the gaffer and I are really seeing things eye to eye because the first AC is a little bit more of technical. The gaffer is going to have a much is going to have a much bigger creative creative input. Yeah, and and do you you know a lot of times it it works different ways. Um, I mean, do you? Are you a DP that will typically, I mean, do you have like guys you regularly regularly use or is it you're okay with, you know, looking at resumes and going down that road or is it just kind of a project thing that you just kind of handle it as it comes along? Uh, I mean, there's definitely guys on my short list, you know, there's the guys, um, I had a project um, about a year ago, we were shooting on the Phantom and we were doing like 1200 and 2000 frames per second. And we needed to use a ton of just like really big lights because you have to have so much light when you're only exposing it for like, you know, the shutter speed. So it's crazy small. I just made sure to get a gaffer there who's could handle all the logistics that come with, you know, needing 
whatever, a T12 and two 10Ks and just all those sort of big lights. I wanted a guy there who I could just not have to worry about all the cabling and the cam lock, just all that stuff for me I didn't want to deal with because I wanted to work with the director. So, you know, then I kind of got a guy who was a little more experienced on the bigger budget stuff. But, um, yeah, you know, I mean, I got my favorites. And if they're available and, and the production can afford them, I sort of always start with them and then sort of trickle down from there. Right, it's kind of... I have a, this is a, this is just an observation question. So, you know, we get on set and, you know, we do a blocking rehearsal. If you're, if you're afforded the time to actually get a blocking rehearsal, yeah. uh, you do the blocking rehearsal, uh, everybody watches. And then, you know, the typical, um, you know, the, the idea is to turn the set over to uh, the the DP and let, you know, G&E come in and you guys set the, set the look and get everything where it needs to be. Assuming there's no stunt. We're just talking about dramatic sequence or yeah. comedy sequence, whatever. Why is it and how does it make you feel if you can just give us the honest perception right now, you can even if you want to yell at an AD, you can do it to me. I'll be your AD. But why is it that there's always this moment where there's there there there's always this moment where they're like, are you done yet? Are you done yet? Are you done yet? Do you, do you I mean, can you kind of give me some insight onto yeah. the idea to work up until you're yelled at or what is what what is that? Why is that? I mean, that's a good question. I mean, some of that depends on the AD. Um, some of that is, yeah, like whatever they tell you how long it's going to take, you know, you're always accurate, but maybe lie a little bit, like to make them think like things are okay. Like, you know, like, yeah, I'll be ready. Don't worry about it. It's, it'll be ready by then. You know, even if you know it might take a couple seconds longer. Um, you know, sometimes you just start lighting and you get your frame up and you look and then you realize partway through uh shit i should have had my key on the other side or you know what like this backlight's not going to work because they're turning this way and that's the tough part that's where you need to make a decision like is it worth it for me to take a longer time to make it look better you know how much better is it going to look and is it worth the risk now i'm going to have people mad at me and the reality is like we got to get all these shots done so like do i want to shoot my wad here on this moment right now um asking for more time you know pushing back on the ad who then has to push back on hair and makeup and, and, and everyone else and, and so um yeah it just takes time i don't know i mean it's funny you're you're making me think of all those moments where i'm always like yeah just five more minutes just five more minutes it, it's so rare where i'm telling the ad like i'm done five minutes early what's up like that doesn't happen much does it <laughs> <laughs> no, just I'm just. It's not a slam. I mean, I no, get I it. No, I know it's just the way I, it is. It is the, totally the way it is, and it's inevitable. Um, you know, I have I by no means done anything to the level that you've ever done. But even then, uh, you know, shooting a short, I, you know, I pre lit because I had the luxury of doing so. So I pre lit, and then on the day, you know, the actor had an idea, and and uh -huh. you know, I was working with another director. It was a combo thing. So he and I had concepts, and we kind of made some adjustments. And those adjustments ended up biting me in the, in, in the ass because now yeah. suddenly somebody's off their mark and I, my lighting's not as good and I have to, you know, I get it. I just was, I was just always curious from somebody who crosses that, that threshold more than anyone. Yeah. You know, you yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, um, I just finished like this, this, uh, uh, six month TV show that I shot. I had a very small right. crew. Um, very small. I only had like two people in my grip electric department and, you know, I would have to make a decision when we, after we would block the scene, like we're going to 
you know, we only had, we were only going to be setting up a couple lights just because there wasn't enough time or crew to do it. But like, there was definitely moments where like we would set up the lights because my first gut is, okay, the light's going to come through the window here and then I'll put the fill over here, et cetera, et cetera. And sometimes I would realize like halfway through or too late in, like, ah, oh, man, I blew it. Like we should have totally done this, but like, there's nothing you can do at that point when you don't have the big crew and you're shooting so much. So it, it, it's funny on this show here, I might've been actually, um, faster just because like once I committed to something there, there was no going back, you know, <laughs> it was just like, no, it got no budge enough where it's like that light goes there. And then like, Oh, well, I guess that's where it's going to go. Even if it's right or wrong, it's just the way it is. Yeah. I jokingly call that Ronco. Do you remember that guy said it and forget it? I yes. just, uh, <laughs> I just call it going Ronco. Just and it's it true. And forget it. Cause you know yeah, what? Cause it's going to work. That's it. There it yeah. is. You hope for the best and make sure it happens. Yeah, exactly. If you, um, put on a put on a long lens and let's just blur the background. They, uh, I can't stand it. You know me, man. I I think you asked for zooms on that movie, and and I tried my best to to prevent there from being zooms on the set. You mean like shooting with zoom lenses? Yeah, because I'm just I'm terrible. I just like primes. I'm just I'm old. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, it's good. It actually, that's a good thing too. Uh, when you were talking earlier about um, the difference between like, you know, uh, the film versus digital and is there like a different way of approaching projects from a craft perspective? Like the prime zoom thing is a real interesting thing because like when you shoot on primes, you really think more about setting up the shots than you do with a zoom lens. Like it's just so hard to not be lazy with a zoom lens. It's so much better uh, the process for me to you're shooting with prime lenses and you just, you just got to think like for this wide shot, do we want to, or sorry for this tight shot, like, you know, what do we want to do to capture the shot? Do we want to move the camera in with a wider lens? Do we want to put on, like, you just really have to think about everything. And, uh, it's, um, it's helpful. You know, it's funny, um, with red and how you can shoot things now, 4K, 5K, 6K, it, it turns the prime lenses kind of into zoom lenses, you know, because you can yep. just then, then the camera <laughs> change it. So it's like we found a way to be lazy with prime lenses. It's exactly right. <laughs> and and that and that's maybe my crutch for it is that I know if I shoot, you know, if we're talking and it's like, well, let's just try a 50 and we're shooting because we're on a dragon now. So we're shooting 6K. Yeah. I know that my finish is 2k. Um, you get a little, you get a little bit of degradation going that, that far yeah. in, but I mean, I can get away yeah. with it. You know, certainly a good colors can sharpen it. Yep. And I've cheated a lot, a lot, a lot of stuff by doing that. Um, yeah. kind of going through that. Yeah, no, that's, that, that is, I will say to a D, uh, to people on set. Sometimes that is demoralizing to hear like, don't worry. We already got the close up. What are you talking about? Trust me. We got that close up. I'm going to push in on that. It's like, Oh man. Yeah, it it, I've I've run into it for sure. <laughs> You've done I'm gu- I'm guilty of it. I'm the guy that's like, no, nah, no, nah, moving on. Because you know, look, sometimes I look at it and I say, I know that Jamie and I talked about this sequence, I, and this is a fault, somewhat. I mean, I, I I assume it is. Sometimes you and I have talked about a sequence or any DP I've worked with, and they're really excited about you know something on the day, and it's maybe the half day point or just before lunch, uh-huh. and they're really amped. I try to make sure 
that part of my job as a leader in morale is to get what we need to tell the story the best we can. But there's also little times when you you look at the day and you go, for me, I look at it and go, okay, I can expedite this down to two shots. I can do this in, in you know three setups, and then that that really big chunk of setups we can do that. We can we, that way the DP will you know Jamie will get excited and, and he'll get his you know crazy rig he wanted to build with some funky camo net and some tarp or whatever, <laughs> some some muslin flying ever anyway. I think that's it's all about balance. That's that's kind of yeah. Where... And 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 let's be honest, like having a director on set who's who's who who, who has edited and knows um, what shots you need, plus is technically savvy enough to know what will or won't work for CG or for anything in post. I mean, that's huge. So uh, I'm always a fan of that. Like you know, that's. Uh, the tiny trade-off of them, you know, maybe pushing in on some medium shots to close shots. That's small potatoes compared to knowing like what shots we actually need for coverage. I mean, I love working with uh, directors who are strong in the post world. It's, 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 that's the best. You're not going to overcover because they know what they want. They know what they need. And then they're also going to know like, uh, just how to get you out of tough situations when you might have to do, you know, green screens or mats, anything like that. That's something I really prefer big time. Absolutely. So I, I kind of going to need to wrap it up. I'd love to have you back on and talk more because I think I think there's still a wealth of of knowledge we haven't tapped from your brain yet. But um, my pleasure, dude. I would love to. In closing out, is there any kind of just anything you would give? You know, the, the point of between the line is for the for for crew, for for cast, for anybody working in in the industry, or just people that are fans. But is is there is there anything? you know, any kind of big parting advice, something that maybe changed your life that happened or, or something like that, that, that changed your perspective for the better that you might, might be willing to share, uh, that we can kind of go out on. Uh, that's a good question, man. I'm trying to think of something. Um, Hmm. And it can't be meeting me because I know that I changed your life and that's, yeah, well, I mean, that, I mean, that obviously went without saying, (laughs) um, yeah, I would I would say just in the cinematography world, um so many um DPs, big, big time DPs are are just incredibly um generous with their time uh and energy. So if if there's someone whose style of shooting you're really responding to, just um just reach out to them. I, I've done that with a bunch of DPs. Get their email address uh, via Twitter. Um, you, if you, you can be aggressive, go through their agent or something, but you can usually get in touch with them and they're just so, um, amazing at answering questions. Um, it's like a very strong, uh, just community with people always trying to help out one another. So I just know I've had just conversations, uh, coffee with, with different DPs that have just really helped me just, you know, prioritize and do stuff. So it's a real, real, a real cool part of the cinematography community. Yeah, so it never hurts to ask, right? Never hurts to ask, Drew. Never hurts. All right, well, Jamie, thank you again for being on uh, Between the Line. We we are honored to have you in our lives, as as I've mentioned, you're a friend of the show, family member, but also just I, I appreciate everything you said. I mean, I, I think we hit on a lot of stuff um, that that is relevant in the modern age, and I, and I, again, I just grateful to have you around. Thanks, man. I had a really good time doing this, and hope to do it again. 
And that was the always talented jamming Jamie Ehrman. The reason I say that the jamming thing is I uh, I had to redo the entire credit sequence for Nigel and Oscar. Somehow I missed the <laughs> the E and put an N. So his name was Jammin' <laughs> Ehrman, which sounds just awesome. Yeah, that sounds like a great If you were following credit. Fish. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so he... Anyway, so Jamie, obviously a cool story. Yeah, that was, a, that was a it. great interview. I mean, because that was really, you know, really awesome to hear that he had an undergrad in biology and anthropology. Right. Which is, you know, and then he comes into the film business, right. which is really crazy. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I love the story of, you know, he has his undergrad from Michigan. He goes back to Cali and, and is in the dot-com boom thing, right? Right. And then he just is like, I'll just take a class. And next thing you know, he decides to move to New York. And, right. You know, he had, he had this really... It was one of those things of he could have gone a certain direction, but something in him stirred him, which I think most film or creative people, it's not just film, let's, let's be fair and say creatives. I think most creatives have a passion that stirs in them that they don't always, you know, know what to do with. And sometimes you get lucky and you're able to harness it early and sometimes it's later. It doesn't really matter when, but if you if you were able to benefit from it, right? And that seems to be a theme that we've had like coming through these different interviews over right. the past, you know, almost year. Oh yeah, I mean, I've noticed that. I mean, especially like with uh, Jared Jones. Oh yeah, Jared's a great example. It has yeah. no education right. beyond high school. Worked in a nuts and bolts place. Right. Um, and then Jamie's like the like, other end. You know, he Jamie graduates. has the you know degree in the biology and anthropology, and then next thing you know, he's a director of photography. Right. Just crazy. Uh, graduated from AFI on top of it. So, and then his, you know, we talk a little bit obviously about his family and, and, you know, his, his wife is a showrunner on uh, Jane the Virgin. And so they're very much in, in the big business side of things and the family side, you'll, you know, that's one of the things where Jamie and I really connected. Uh, when I told him that we were having a second kid, um, offline, there's, there's these great jokes about minivans, uh, that happened he's him making fun of me for wanting to drive a minivan. (laughs) It's just you have to carry so much crap. It's like it's it's insane. Plus, I figure I could load camera gear into it and make a really cool like. Hey, yeah, there you go. Yeah, it's not going to work. That my <laughs> wife won't won't let me do that. Oh. Yeah. So uh, if you have a chance to check out any of Jamie's work, I mean, he's got a ton of stuff. If you if you, if you find him on uh, uh, IMDb and it's posted in the show notes, I believe, go check out some of his work. He, I mean, he's a really good. He's so well rounded, and, and frankly, from a director to DP relationship, he was just a very friendly comparable i mean obviously he and i got very close and right and you can tell that in in, in the interview absolutely yeah i mean we're, we're pals and when, right. whenever i go out to la you know we get together and right. we have our we have our meal and we drink some beer and it's not about getting hammered we just we both have made this joke that we we enjoy like this consumption of delicious food and talk so we, we just get together and hang out and and talk right. stuff um Jamie also gave me the best trick in the world. If you find out you're working for somebody on a show and you can afford it and they are a beer fan, you know, you heard it in the interview about the right. beer of the month club. It's genius, right? Right. So it really is. Every month I'm forced to think about Jamie Ehrman. And then when it stops, I'm forced to think about Jamie Ehrman. So I'm always thinking about Jamie. It's one of the most clever uh, little tricks to keep you relevant. Uh, if they're a beer fan, um, you know, it, it, or whatever you could do it with coffee of the month club. I mean, fruit of the month club. Sure. If, Maybe they love yeah. fruit. Maybe they're a vegan. Maybe they're like Tony and they're a vegan. Oh. <laughs> he's a vegan. Is he? Yeah, he's a full vegan. That's right. That's why he doesn't ever come to uh, family barbecues. It's, I'm just kidding. We, we always have food for Tony. <laughs> we love Tony. Okay, so Chris, I want to thank you, sir, for uh, all your hard work on all the stuff you do. And thank you for sitting in for your first episode of Between the Line. It feels really weird. I'm so used to hearing Hold the Roll and Horst being over here from the main episodes. It's right. just... 
Wait, I feel like I'm becoming a horse. Mm, a horse of a different color? Yeah, there we go. Ah. New beard. Yeah, yeah. yeah, get a beard. I don't know if he has his beard. I haven't I haven't I haven't actually seen him. Uh usually we chat over Skype. Um and he doesn't wear pants. Because he'll oh. tell me he's like, I can't move right now. I don't have pants on. I'm like, oh. Yeah, you stay just let me see your bare chest. Yeah. That's wow. the kind of relationship okay. we have. Mm. We're mm. brothers, dude. That's how yeah. it works. <laughs> <laughs> Somehow we devoted we we went from our professional status back to our our hold the role status of comedy. Uh, anyway, we want to thank everybody for listening in. And if you have any questions, comments, like we mentioned earlier, feel free to shoot us an email at between the line podcast at gmail dot com. You can find us on Facebook at between the line podcast or on Twitter at podcast btl. Is that correct? Yeah, that's it. Or How you can that? contact us on uh, slackedoffpunks dot com. Absolutely. Any way to do it, we, we would love to hear from you. If you have any suggestions for interviews or, or know somebody that should, uh, that maybe has a cool story, or maybe you have a cool story, feel free to send us info. We, we're always looking for content, right? right? I mean, the idea is to provide as much value to the audience and the fan base to give you something new. So anything that you have, come and send it to us and we'll, we'll sort it out and see what we can do about it. So Chris, again, thank you. Thank you for having me. All right. Well, with that said, stay frosty, stay sharp, and cut. Thank you for listening to the Mobcast Network.